first time worshiping with us, I want to just, as the pastor, uh, say how honored we are that you would come and worship with us. Living Word is a, is a spirit-filled church. We are uh, rooted deep within the scriptures, and if there is anything that happened during the course of the service that you might have found odd or, or maybe unusual, I would love an opportunity to sit down with you and to share with you where it is in scripture that we get raising our hands and where we see clapping hands and, and praying out loud. Um, these are all biblical things, and, and we, when we get together on Sunday, it's, it's sort of a celebration. It's a celebration of the goodness of God. And throughout this congregation are, are individuals who, whose lives have been radically transformed. And, and so we come here on our own free accord, and we worship God with everything that's within us because we have so much to be thankful for. Some of us had sickness in our body and God instantly just took it away. And so when we come to church, we get so excited because we know, hey, Mary, that happened to you, right? A couple weeks ago, Mary came in and she came with a cane. She had been with a cane for a while and was just in incredible pain in her body. Uh, unable to walk without the assistance of a cane. And she, she just said, you know what? I'm going to try out and test God. And she came down during the time where we pray and we laid hands on her and prayed for her. And she said, instantly the pain just left. And she said, I didn't, I didn't want to say anything because I wanted to just make sure that it was real. And, and we, again, we don't, the goal here is not emotionalism. It's not sensationalism. We're, we, we want the real. And she went throughout the course of the week, and she said, I, I could walk without the assistance of my cane. I have more stability in my walk than I've ever had. And that's a testimony to how great a God we serve. Amen. Amen. There's, there's many traditions that I'm sure you have as well as I do, and, and this, this year brings out this time of the year brings out the best of all those traditions, a certain food or a place you go. In the Meyer family, um, we will gather tonight, and maybe you've heard this story before, but uh, we, we go and we get Chinese food, and uh, we did it before it was cool. Um, we, we used to be, you know, lauded with praise and dry cookies because we were one of the only ones that came to this restaurant in New Berlin and and now it's kind of caught on, and I think we've started something. But one, one thing that will happen tonight is, is somebody will get the coveted uh, request from, we don't call him bishop at home, we call him dad or grandpa. And grandpa will walk over to somebody and he'll give him the Bible and say, would you read the story? And I'm just going to read a, a short passage out of what we'll read tonight. Luke chapter 2, very familiar this time of year, starting with verse 1 said, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son 
and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I focus your attention on this last line. There was no room for them in the inn. And I want to just speak to you for the next few moments on this title, Making Room for a Miracle. Making Room for a Miracle. Would you just set your Bibles down and once again, can we just uh, collectively in this room just ask that God would be in these next few moments and open our hearts to receive what he would have for us. Would you join me? Jesus, we love you today and we thank you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for all that you do. I pray that you would just be with us now in these next few moments. Let your presence be felt by all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you greet your neighbor, let him know how good it is to see them today. If it's someone you rode with, let them know it is still very good to see them. Amen. And you may be seated. It's, it's already been said, but if you would allow me to say it again, this is a church that believes in miracles. We don't speculate that miracles take place, but we expect them to happen because we've seen them with our own eyes. We've experienced them in our own lives. We've experienced them in the lives of our family. And we know that we serve a God who still performs miracles. He's a God that still heals. He's a God who still delivers. He's a God who still saves those who are lost. He's a, st- a God who still answers prayers. He-, he still does the miraculous. We-, we wholeheartedly believe this to be true. We don't, we don't believe that, that, that miracles have ceased. We don't believe that it's just emotionalism. We, we truly believe it. I, I've seen individuals that have, have come in uh, in a wheelchair and God has healed them. I've seen people who have had cancer and leukemia, uh, things that the doctor said couldn't be healed or couldn't be solved. And God reached into that impossible situation and he healed them. And today we celebrate a miraculous moment in time, a moment when the creator of the universe stepped into time, born in a lowly manger with the intent and purpose to save us for our sin. It's a story that, that never gets old. It's a story that has captivated generations. It's a story that has impacted communities. It's a story that is just as relevant today as it was the day it happened. And when you stop and consider the birth of Jesus, although a lot of times we focus on the unexpected aspects of the story, how he came as a lowly servant, when you stop and pause, it truly is a story filled with miracles. Consider just a few with me. Ponder these. Think about the angelic announcement that, that happened to Mary when Gabriel showed up in her room and changed her life. Highly favored, you're going to give birth to a child. Consider then later as Joseph uh, was perplexed and pondered what to do, Gabriel visits him and, and begins to tell him God's miraculous plan for how he's going to save his people from their sin, that this would be Emmanuel, God with us. 
Consider the virgin birth. Mary miraculously conceives Jesus, having not known a man. Or, or consider the angelic hosts that alert the shepherds in the field. That these men were, were considered the outcasts of society. And they get an angelic announcement, followed by them harmoniously praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. Think about the majestic star that guided the wise men to Jesus. Magi that came from the east and, and they came to worship him and to present him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Consider the angelic warning that later comes to Joseph and lets him know, hey, uh, Herod is, is wanting to seek the life of Jesus and so you need to flee to Egypt. Every element of the story is carefully crafted and every element of the story is filled with miracles. Or how about we take a step back and, and consider the prophecies that foretold through men of God about the birth of Jesus. Isaiah would, would look through the corridor of time and would say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He said that, that it would be from a virgin birth, the child would be Emmanuel, God with us. Think about Micah who would prophesy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem or, or, or Solomon who prophetically wrote the King's Psalm and, and began to talk about the Magi and the gifts that they would bring to Jesus. Or Hosea who spoke of the fact that Joseph and Mary would flee to Egypt. Every aspect was not just miraculous but it was foretold that it would come. Truly the birth of Jesus was, was nothing short of a miraculous moment. However, what I find even more remarkable is the amount of people that missed it. Yes, the shepherds were treated to an incredible show. Yes, the, 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 the magi got to encounter something that very few can say they did. Yes, the prophets, uh, even though they may not have understood completely what they were speaking of, spoke with, with clear uh, view of what was to come. However, think about all those in Bethlehem who were unaware of the manger and the miracle that was taking place. Think about the people who lived right next door. And they were on their way to, to do what they needed to do. And unbeknownst to them, right next to their house is the greatest miracle of all time. Emmanuel, God with us. Consider the people that had an opportunity when Mary or Joseph knocked on the door. Hey, could you just... Give us a, a room to sleep in. Consider with me what they said no to because they had no room. And, and Scripture is very clear of it. Luke says there was no room for them in the end. It, it wasn't malicious intent. It wasn't that people were being mean or nasty or mean-spirited. It was just the matter of reality. There was no room. M many were close, however they missed it. Surely most were familiar with the stable, yet not present for the arrival. And Luke said it was because there was no room. No room for Jesus. Therefore, no room for a miracle. Sadly, this would become a trend woven throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus. Many, during his three-and-a-half-year ministry would be impacted by his teaching. Many would experience life-changing miracles. Many would have life-changing encounters and moments that would change the, 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 the future for them and their family. 
However, there would be many more who would miss it. Scripture doesn't record their names because they were merely spectators. Scripture doesn't record their stories because they were uninterested, unaware, and unaffected. They, they, had, they had proximity to Jesus, but their priorities wouldn't allow them to go any further. And, and sadly, for many, there was just no room for Jesus. Consider the rich young ruler who, who had all the intent to follow Jesus. And he, he comes to Jesus and he says, listen, I, I've done everything. I've kept the law. And, and Jesus says, okay, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and then and come and follow me. But there was just no room to get rid of the stuff. And it says that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Consider even some of the disciples that John 6 and 66 said that after a time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That there came a point where they liked the idea of Jesus. They liked the idea of following him. They liked the benefits that came with proximity. However, there came a point for some where they just did not have room for Jesus. Now millenniums have passed and advancements have been made. Information is received now at a faster pace than ever before, and tomorrow it will be even faster. However, I'm convinced humanity's response to Jesus hasn't changed much. Simply put, there's no room for Jesus. Let's face it, we have busy lives. We have crowded calendars. We have demanding jobs. We have exhausting extracurricular activities. We have mounting to-do lists. We have challenging goals. This is, this is not a bad thing that we're ambitious. This is not a bad thing that we have fun. But sadly, for some, that leaves no room for Jesus. And today and tomorrow, there will be countless people that will walk through the day and they'll give no thought to the meaning behind it. Instead, they look at the season as what they don't have, what we have to do, what we didn't do, what we need to do, what we could have done. And in all of this chaos, we have no room for Jesus. Yes, we still have needs. Yes, there are still people that are, are depressed and anxious. Yes, there are still people who are lonely and hurting. Yes, there are still people that are feeling physical ailments in their body and they, 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 they wear the marks of a silent disease and a pain that, that is with them every morning and every night. Yes, there are people that are, are battling and struggling with addiction and, and they're overwhelmed by the weight of their sin. But sadly, for many, there's just no room for Jesus. And therefore, no room for a miracle. But, but what if that changed? What if this Christmas, we gave Jesus the ultimate gift and we said, this year I'm going to make room? Well, what if we said, Lord, I'm going to be willing to shuffle some things out of the way. I'm not going to do it just so I can get something out of it. This is not just me making temporary space so that I can get the miracle that I've been after, but I'm talking about a permanent place. I'm talking about an adjustment in my life where you now become the center of my life. I'm talking about making a commitment long before the clock strikes midnight and we welcome in 2024. But today I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to make room for you, Jesus. And I'm going to give you every part of my life. What if we were willing to make room? 
When we study the stories of those whose lives were dramatically changed, when we analyze those who received a miracle or had life-altering experiences with Jesus, when we look at the guests that were a part of the manger scene, you'll notice commonalities to their stories. You'll notice a uniformity in their approach. Allow me to just, and I know where the time is ticking, but allow me to just share three things that we see in common with these individuals that received a miracle. The first thing we can recognize or we can understand with individuals that received a miracle or had an experience with Jesus is that they recognized the Savior. The shepherds were caught off guard. Again, these were the outcasts of society. They, they weren't held in high esteem. These were men that were working. They were tending the sheep, and all of a sudden an interruption happens. And in that interruption is revelation. The long-awaited Savior, the angel says, Christ the Savior, Christ the Lord is born to you this day. If we're going to make room for a miracle, like, like, like the shepherds, we need to recognize the Savior. I want you to know today, it wasn't just a baby in a manger. This was Emmanuel. This was God with us. This wasn't the second person in the Trinity. This was God who stepped into time. Divinity who put on humanity to say, I'm not going to send someone else to save my people for their sin, but I will robe on flesh and I will come down to save the people for their sins. We can't think of the manger without right away jettisoning to the cross because that was the purpose and the intent that Jesus came. He didn't just come to perform miracles. He didn't just come to make relationships and to make waves in the Roman Empire. No, he came with the sole intent to save his people for their sins. And when we recognize Jesus, we become aware of something very important. It's a contrast between us and him. We, we understand when we recognize the Savior that, that he is divine and I am flesh. That, that he is more than able and I am filled with my inabilities. Paul would say this to the church in Rome. He would say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This isn't singling you out. This is singling all of us out. Every person in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has messed up. Every one of us has made a mistake. And the reality is this. Anytime we recognize him for who he is, we will always come to the reality of who we are. When I, it was just like Isaiah. It was just like John. It was just like Daniel. When these individuals had an encounter with God, they fell to the floor. Isaiah would say, woe is me, for I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among unclean people. And my eyes have seen the Lord. When you get a moment to recognize him, all of a sudden a mirror shines back at you. Because the reality is imperfection cannot dwell with perfection. But that's why I'm so thankful that he made a way that we could have relationship and communion with him. He said, listen, I'm not going to allow you to be at arm's way, but I'm going to die for your sins so that you can take that and acknowledge me. And not just acknowledge me, but you can make a move towards me. And so it's more than just awareness at its core. It's an, it's an acknowledgement. He's a savior, therefore I'm a sinner. He's a healer, and if I'm sick, I can be healed. However, just recognizing your condition 
and his capabilities isn't enough. And sadly, so many stop right here. I've accepted Jesus. Well, that's great. But, but Scripture would say that, that there are people that draw near to him with their mouth and honor him with their lips, but their heart is far from him. He's not just wanting you to accept him. He's not wanting you to just say a prayer in a moment, but he's asking you to make a commitment. He's asking you to let action be behind those words and, and that you would repent of your sins, that you would be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus and you would be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Just accepting him is not enough. Just acknowledging him is not enough because there is a need for action. You see, awareness without action often leads to emptiness. And there's many that are aware, but without action, you just feel guilty. You feel shameful. And so that leads us to the next step. If we're going to recognize the Savior, the next thing we need to do then is rearrange the stuff. That's King James. Rearrange the stuff. C consider with me the wise men. They, they didn't just one day decide, you know what, let's take a walk. And then on the walk, they said, oh, there's a star. Let's follow the star. Oh, just so happens we're traveling with gold, frankincense. No, these were men that regularly were anticipating the Savior. They, they recognized that there was going to be a moment in time where God was going to put on flesh. And so they constantly were studying the scriptures and looking for that moment. And when that moment arrives, you have to... You have to understand, they rearranged their lives. So, some scholars say that they traveled three to four months to get to where Jesus was. A couple hundred miles that they traveled. They, they didn't just say, we're, we're going to, no, they put their life on hold so that they could pursue and make room for a miracle. And today, it's a great step to recognize your condition and his capabilities, but there comes a moment when you have to decide to make a move. We just sang the song earlier, Joy to the World, and there's a, there's a part in that, that song that says, let every heart prepare him room. And so that, that tells us that, that God isn't just looking for a place on your coffee table. He's not just looking for some space on the back of the bumper of your car. He's not just looking for you to wear him around your neck, but he's after something more than just your house. He's after your heart. Solomon would pen these words, and I think they're so fitting. You can hear the heart of a father. He said, my son, give me your heart. And that's what Jesus wants today. He wants access to your heart. No, no greater gift you can give God than your heart. The, 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 the only problem is a lot of times we overcommit that space. We, we have a lot of things that are vying for our heart, relationships, Hobbies, careers, goals, aspirations. And I'm not saying today, please don't misunderstand me, that we just get rid of all those things. Get rid of our relationships, get rid of our dreams. No, no, no. But there has to be a time and a place where we say, God, I'm going to give you my heart first. That, that means that, that God gets elevated above all of those things. That above the relationship, that above the goals, that above the career aspirations, that, that above your plans and your, your, your future hopes, that God gets the top. And he has veto authority to at any point say, no, 
He says, give me your heart. Peter, thinking about the desire of the Lord, would write this in 1 Peter 3 and 15. He said, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Understand what that word means, sanctify. It means to set apart. To, to the Greek pagans, they would look at this word sanctify as an act of setting apart or consecrating a building as a temple to their gods. And so when they, when they sanctified themselves to their false idols, they would make a shrine and a temple, something that their god would occupy. And that's why you see a lot of times within the pages of Scripture that there was, there was temples to Diana and Artemis and all these false gods because they sanctified them and they made them holy. And it's no coincidence that Peter uses the same word, but he's not referring to the need for a temple or a structure, but rather consecrating a place in your heart for God. And so it means that we somehow have to make room for Jesus. That, that amongst the clutter, that amongst the obstacles, that amongst the priorities, that we move out those things and say, God, I'm making room. It, it's not just a song we sing, but it's an action that we make, that we rearrange the stuff, that we remove the stuff, that we relinquish the stuff. And that ultimately opens the door to the third thing. So if we recognize the Savior, if we remove the stuff, the, the third thing is we receive the miracle. That the prophets were, were one that knew this to the fullness. They, they walked with God. They recognized His goodness. They were obedient to His will. And they regularly, we can tell in their lives, that prophets were weird fellas. They, they were, they were the, the crazy. I mean, if you read some of the things that Ezekiel did, um, check out Ezekiel in the new year. You'll be, you'll be uh, I don't know what you'll be, shocked maybe. Um, but but he, the prophets were just weird fellas. They were on the outskirts of town. And when they would come into the city, people knew that something was going to be taking place. Either judgment was going to come or, or God was going to levy blessings upon that community. And so I have to imagine that people kind of kept their distance from the man of God because they're just weird people. But, but these are men that walked in the miraculous. They, they had ravens deliver them food. They had uh, just crazy things. One, one prophet, uh, someone says to him, you bald man, and he, he just says, curse on you, and she bears come and, and, and eat them. It's the only time the bears actually won. Um, and That was for one person and one person only. They, they regularly walked... They regularly walked in the miraculous. And, and watch what happens. Watch what happens. I Elisha, uh, he gets the mantle of Elijah. I and Elisha goes and he comes in contact with a Shunammite woman. And the Shunammite woman recognizes who he is. This is a man of God. This is a man to be revered. And she recognizes who he is. And so she looks to her husband and she says, can we make room for the man of God. Can, can we make, make space in the home? Let's get him a bed. Let's go to Ikea and get him a bed. And let's get him a lampstand. And let's get him some furniture so that when he comes through, there is space for him to dwell here. And she makes room for the prophet of God. And it says that in time, the prophet calls his servant Gehazi and says, let, let the Shunammite woman come to me. I have a question for her. And he says to her, what can I do for you? 
Is there something that I can bring before the king? I have influence. I have the ability to do things. And he recognizes that this is a woman who doesn't have children. And he says, listen, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And she says, don't play with me, man of God. And he says, no, my word is truth. You're going to have. And we see, so she recognizes the man of God. She makes room for him. And all of a sudden, there's a miracle. We speed to the New Testament, and this happens time after time after time. Jairus, he makes room. He recognizes that there's a man named Jesus, and so he, he, he makes room to travel to where he is. Or how about the paralytic man? He, he can't get a miracle on his own, so he recognizes that there's a man that can heal him, and he asks his friend, would you carry me to Jesus? The only problem was the house was filled with clutter. And how can we get him to Jesus when there's so much crowded space? What do they do? They go on the roof. They, they rip apart the roof, and they lower him in. If we're going to see the miraculous take place in 2024, we're going to have to make room for Jesus. So often we think we're waiting on God, but a lot of times God is waiting on us. Sometimes we think, well, what is he doing? Why is he silent? Why isn't he answering my prayers? Why, why does it feel like I'm all alone? And God is saying, would you just make room for me? You've made a statement by your actions. You, you see, just coming to church is not in its effect making room, but it's a great start. Making room is found in what you do Monday through Saturday. It's found in your daily disciplines. It's found in your daily pursuit of Jesus. Every action we make is an action of Jesus. You're on the sideline or it's an action for Jesus. You're the center of my life. And that's what he's looking for today. He's looking for people who are willing to open their hearts up to him and say, God, I give you every part of me. Would you stand with me? We're getting ready to, to take communion here. And I want to close with this story. I, I, think, it's, I think it's one of the saddest stories in Jesus' ministry. But, but I guess it fits the theme that we see in his earthly ministry. During Jesus's three and a half year ministry, he had opportunity to return to his hometown, Nazareth, a place that for many years he called home, a place that represented growth and development, a place that had established relationships and friendships. And out of all the places that he would travel, one would gather that there would be a hero's reception at Nazareth. One would think that when Jesus comes home, that it would be like, there he is. We saw him grow up. We know that he is something special. But scripture says this, Mark 6 and 3, this is their response. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. And Jesus looks at those around him and he says, A prophet is not with honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. That there was sadly no room for Jesus in Nazareth. And the next verse says, Now he could do no mighty works there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Because there was no room for Jesus, he could only perform a few miracles. An entire 
community would miss out because they failed to make room for Jesus. Today, I'm, I'm convinced that this can be an example of what a heart looks like that hasn't prepared room. This is what a heart can look like that says, one day, Jesus. I, I see the value of having you in my heart, but I just don't know if I'm ready to make that commitment. But what would happen in these next few moments if we would make a personal commitment? It's not anything you have to speak to me. But what if we would be willing in our pew to just say, God, I've decided that I'm making room. That this is not, this is not a moment for condemnation. This is not a moment to make you feel guilty. But the band is going to sing that song again. I've decided I'm making room. And I'm wondering before we take communion, would you just take a moment to search your heart? Just you and Jesus. No one else. You don't have to, to speak out loud. Maybe you want to sit in your, your seat. Maybe you just want to sit there stoically. But would you just search your heart and say, God, in 2023, have I made room for you? Or are you the wild card that I only call on when I have a desperate need? I'm telling you today that he wants to be the center of your life. He wants to do miracles in your life. He wants to do miracles through you. But in order for that to happen, I have to make room. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for every person that is under the sound of my voice. I thank you for your patience with us. Lord, that though we fail, though we fall, though we mess up and make mistakes, your word says you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. God, I don't, I don't know every story in this room. Maybe there are some that are on a journey. Maybe there are some that have walked away. Maybe there are some that have, have stayed, but haven't taken the next step. Wherever we fall on this journey called life, would you speak to us today? Would you speak to each heart and help us, Lord, so that we can prepare room for you today? Would you touch us today in the name of Jesus, I pray. Would you take a few moments to just spend some time with God and then in a minute we're going to take communion together. I have decided how many